Hi there. How are you? Good. You look good. Good to see you. Uh, good to be with you. My name's RD. I'm one of the pastors here on, uh, on staff. And uh, those of you watching in the morning, in the future, uh, also good to be with you in the chapel. Hope you have a great service up north. Uh, hello to Ross and Emily and everyone else up at North Campus. Hope you guys have a great, uh, great morning. We are at the very end of our series in the Apostles' Creed. And we've been in the series for the past, I'm not even sure, seven, eight, a while now. We've been in it a while now. And we're coming to the end of it and the final part of the creed. And next week, Mark is talking. And the week after that, we start our fall series, which will be called Unexpected, The Journey of Faith. And we're going to walk through the story of Abraham and Sarah from Genesis chapter 12 through 25, which is going to be a great and amazing series. But before we get there, we are going to end the creed with uh, really a flourish because it's such a beautiful part of the creed. And the part of the creed that we're going to be talking about is the very end. You can see it on the screen. And before this, as part of the creed, is the statement that says, I believe in. And the part that we're talking about this weekend is, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. And so that's what we get to talk about um, this weekend. And it's going to be amazing and beautiful. And we're going to hopefully just peel back the layers of eternity. And that by the time you walk out of here, you've maybe tasted a bit of it. And that would be awesome. That'd be great. We'll see what God does as we spend time here together. Well, to begin, uh, to begin, I want to tell you a story. And what I want to tell you is about a time um, when I got engaged to my wife and it was, well, I'll just tell you the story instead of just trying to set it up because it was both great and uh, also hilarious. So my wife and I were dating for a year and we know each other for two years and we were living in Dallas and we flew to Tennessee to, I was going to ask her to marry me in the Smoky Mountains because she loves hiking, outdoor, nature, all these things. And I was preaching at a church in Tennessee on Sunday. So I thought this would be, this would be good cover. Like she's not going to suspect it as much if I say, hey, I got to go preach. Do you want to come with me? And do you want to do that? And so she's like, of course. And, you know, she already met my family, but we're going there. And so I had it all planned. I mean, I've been planning this for months, months. I'm, I'm just, this is the one of the few things in my life I really planned well. And so we are um, there and we get there and there are one of two ways to go about getting engaged really at all times, especially nowadays. You can take the over the top route where every day, the week before you get engaged, usually the guy is just going crazy and it's obvious it's coming, right? Like Monday, he's going to buy her a whole circus and Tuesday, he's going to give her a thousand flowers. And it's like, okay, dude, that's not it. Like once you get to the ring, it's anticlimactic. Right. And then there's all these videos, and everybody. And you just know, like, you know, and they just sell out to that. And if you do that, awesome. Great. That's not what I did. I took the opposite route. I took the I don't want I want her to be surprised, shocked, stealth mode, which pays off when it happens, doesn't pay off up until that time because it seems like you don't care about her. And so I want to forget this. The night before we were going to do the hike Friday night, we're watching a movie with my parents and Emily goes to bed and uh, I give her I give her a side hug which she still talks about today. I thought it was normal. I thought it was fine. I, you know, I didn't want it to be too intense. I want it to be normal. I give her this side hug and I could tell, you know, you can tell when it's awkward, there's tension, you know, you can tell, don't lie to me. I know you can tell. And so then she takes by the side and she just goes to her bed and I was like, ah, oh, that was awkward, but it's worth it 
because she's going to be shocked. No one thinks they're going to get a side hug the night before they get engaged, right? No one, no one absolutely thinks that. They think it's going to be full on, you know. And so the, I wake up the next morning and I already have the ring in the car and I put the bag that we're taking up there on the counter. So I'm you know, thinking when she sees the bag out there, she'll think, I guess I can go through the bag, which means the ring is probably not in there, right? Reverse psychology because it's already in the car. So I'm already feeling good about everything, but I'm just nervous. I'm nervous because I'm trying to get the words, and so I'm just focusing in the zone. And so we drive up there. I'm not saying very much. It's about a 45-minute drive. It's like a three-hour hike. I'm not saying very much. I'm just once it's like a more intense hike than I thought it was, so it's hard to breathe, period. So that wasn't as great, but it's so beautiful. And so Emily, sensing that I wasn't that vocal, starts talking about sermons, which is usually like a green light for me to start talking because I'm just a nerd like that. I'll talk about sermons. And even that, I was like, yeah, that was really great. Walk, 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 walk. And she's just like, and she told me after, like, you know what? Forget him. This is just the worst. Like, let's just get up there and then go home. And so we get up to this point, <clears throat> this overlook in the Smoky Mountains, and it's gorgeous. It looks down over all these amazing valleys. And actually, on one side of the valley, there had been kind of a tree burn. So there was kind of this scorched area over there, which still looked kind of, kind of beautiful and haunting. But then the rest of it was just, you could see for miles. And so I'm thinking, it's, it's here, it's happening. We're about to make this happen. It's just, this is, all, it's beautiful, there's no one here. And all of a sudden, I hear these, the, the, I hear words from right to the right of me, and this person says, this whole view is ugly. Now, this is not in my mind, a real person says this, okay? This is a real person. And I, I didn't even see this person, they're sitting right next to me, and I turn and look at them, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Who, who are you? Where did you even come from? He's like, I've just been hiking the Appalachian Trail, which I could tell by his smell and his beard and his <laughs> trying to find himselfness, right? He's climbing the Appalachian Trail. And so I'm like, dude, not now. Like, I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, are you of all, Lord, you knew this was the day. You knew this was the spot. There hasn't probably been anyone here all morning. And this guy, this guy, and so the heart is not, so I'm going to like engage, ask my wife to marry me in an angry way. And so I'm like, hey man, do you need any food or apples? You know, and I just want to like chuck an apple like down the valley or something. Or <laughs> like go get it. And he's just not getting a clue. Like he's just kind of sitting there and he starts talking about things. And, you know, I feel like the Lord pressed on my heart. I should hear the gospel with him. And so I try and do that. I'm like, isn't it amazing how beautiful these mountains are? Doesn't it make you feel just so small? And he shoots back. He's like, actually, I feel pretty awesome because I hiked this whole thing. Actually, I feel great. And I'm like, well, you know what? Forget you. So just get out of here. Like I try to share the gospel with you and you're just, he, like, you know, the people, they just stay around. Like the conversation has clearly ended and they're just kind of like, we're just this awkward steering, and I'm like, not today. And so we just have to leave. I mean, he did take our picture, so that was kind of good. But I couldn't do it. He just was like right here. And so thankfully, I had a backup spot. Thankfully, planning, planning, planning. And so we go back a little bit, and we go off to this area. And I kid you not, the name, you can look this up, the name of this place where we ended up getting engaged was called the Jump Off. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, can go multiple ways, obviously. <laughs> My mood was dicey. <clears throat> it's a good thing the other guy, we didn't meet him at the jump off. <laughs> and so we're there. I'm feeling in the zone. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. And so I'm, I'm like, I say this out loud. I'm going to say, this is how I always wanted it to be. And I, the second I said it, I was like, nope, nope, not ready. Not, not ready. I hope she didn't hear that. Of course, she says, what did you always hope it would be? And I literally go, oh, you know, the, the trees and the... <laughs> Oh, look at, look at that bird right there. That's really great. That's a great, I'm just like saying, you know, vomiting my words right now. It's, it's a disaster. And I'm like, Artie, you got to get it together right now. This is unbelievable. You're about to get engaged and this thing is just going south so fast. And so I kind of regroup for a while. I'm sweating profusely. 
in the ring. It's like in my pocket, and it's just, I'm like, I got to just do this. And so like, finally, 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 I get it out. I pop down on one knee. Of course, my knee hits this huge rock, so I'm writhing, and, I'm writhing in pain, but I get the words out, and I say it. I'm weeping from the pain, also from the emotion. It's an amazing moment. She said yes. Fast forward, we're married, and we have two kids, right? Great story. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. The best part of that, that was a great moment. The best part of that was that throughout that whole morning of, of the hike, I had invited her parents to come in from Texas. Her best friends had come in from Texas and from Ohio. My best friend had come in. Our grandparents had come in. We had like, you know, it's like if you could get all, people, they don't always know each other, but if you can invite all your favorite people in the world in one place and they all come together, that's what that was. And so she didn't know about it. So all the drive home, she's like, we should call my parents. I'm like, oh, let's just wait on calling your parents. And so we get there to the, uh, my parents' cabin, and everyone is just in there. And we just spent three days together having great food, great memories, great stories, telling about the engagement. I mean, it was like the peak of my life. It was just, you know, good food, good people, all your favorite people together in a beautiful setting. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. It, it was so, I can't even think about it now. I just get filled with this joy. I do. It's just so, we have moments like that. But you know what the sad thing, the hard part about that was, is that it ended. It ended. And people had to go back to their jobs. Darn it. (laughs) They had to go back to their kids. You know, they had to go literally off the mountaintop. And we had to go back to our life. We had to go start planning for a wedding, which is actually not that awesome. (laughs) You know, and I actually, which Emily did it, so she can tell you it's just a lot. And I just like, I just want to, I just want to bottle up those three days and just spend eternity there. Have you ever had a moment where you felt like you've been on the edge of eternity, but then it's over like that? And that for me up there with the birth of my girls and my wedding day is that moment where I just wanted to stop time. But all good things, they come to an end, don't they? In this life, they do. They do. Nothing, nothing actually lasts as long as we'd like it to last. You think of anything, it doesn't, la- it doesn't last as long as you would like it to last. You think, of, you think of your wedding day, right? You're planning, planning, planning. Your wedding day happens, it's over like that. And then all it is is just a memory. It's in the past. Right? You have photos, you have stories, you have memories. You go on a honeymoon, you've been planning it forever. Even if you go on a two-week honeymoon or a month-long honeymoon, it's like, this is amazing. Next thing you know, you're flying back. And you're like, where did the time go? You go on a great vacation, you have a great meal with great friends. It's amazing, and yet the clock just hits midnight, and it's over. Right? Good things in life, they come to an end. Friendships, they come to an end, don't they? Homes that we love, we maybe have to move out of them for good reasons or for really hard reasons. Jobs that we love, we have to leave those jobs. Maybe, maybe reasons that we choose or maybe reasons that we don't choose. But maybe if you have a job you love and you, and you lose it, it just, it ends, and it just, it's, it's out of your grasp. Marriages, they can end, can't they, with divorce. It ends, or with death, with death. It ends, it ends. It doesn't last forever, right? It, it does not last forever. Who, who says about their kids, they don't grow up that fast? No one says that. Everyone says they grow up so fast. Next, one day you're changing diapers. The next day you're changing sheets on your daughter's bed in your dorm room. Right? Just like that. And yes, there's great and amazing things that happen as your, your kids at different ages, but there's also this loss. There's this time you can't ever get it back. Because that's another thing about, about our lives. Not, not only do all good things come to an end, but the past is irretrievable. Though we wish it wasn't, right? You want, the past is gone. Five seconds ago, you can never get back. Ever. It's done. 
We can't time travel. We can't go back there and change it. But how many of us, we have experiences, we have moments in our life that if we could go back, maybe it was for me, it was for getting engaged, your wedding day, whatever. We have moments in our life, if we could just go back and be in that place, everything would be okay again. Or maybe you want to go back in the past and change something. How many of us want to do that? We want to raise our hands because that'd be everybody, right? How many of us, if I could just, before I made that decision, before I did that thing, before I said that, I wish I could just go back and change that. But you can't, you can't change it. And how many times does that just haunt us? You can't get it back. It's gone. That's the past. It's like the greyhound uh, dogs that chase around the rabbit at the track. You can't ever get it. It's always, it's always just right out of your grasp. It's irretrievable. All right, how many of us would love to go back to a time before something? Right? On our wedding day, before everything just went completely south. That was a great moment. We had a great first year, and I don't even know what happened. I, could we just go back to that moment, to that place in time? Could we just go back to the time before I got the diagnosis, before the accident, um, before I lost my job, right? Before my spouse said they're in love with someone else. Could, I, could, I, could we just go back? Because maybe if I just went back there, I could just, I could change it. Or maybe if I went back to that spot that, Fill me with such joy that I could actually, I could feel something again. But the hard truth of life in this world is that you can't go back. And yet we want to, don't we? We're not just satisfied to just say, well, it is what it is. Tough luck. <clears throat> There's something inside of us that says why. In the past, though, it's irretrievable. You can never, ever get it back. And just, I, I felt this, and kind of, it's kind of a silly illustration, but I think it paints the picture of just the sadness we feel I grew up going to Florida every Christmas. My grandmother lived on a little bay, and she had a little apartment. It was my dad's mom, Juanita Pearl, five foot nothing, filled with fire, best woman ever, ever. And she had this little apartment right on the bay, and there was this pier there where my brother and I would fish. Every, I mean, every day. I wake up in the morning, and I would just put out the fishing rod. we fish all day, catch all these fish, amazing. Over to the right by the pier was this amazing forest where my brother and I would play pirates, and we had an older guy named Mike who would hang out with us, and he'd take us on adventures over at this place. And it was, it was like 16 years. We spent 16 Christmases there. Amazing. The best times ever. And then at 16 years old, my, mom, my grandmother moved to be with us in Tennessee, and then she passed away a few years ago. And so I hadn't been back in about 16 years. And I went to a pastor's conference in Orlando last year. It got done early. And so I said, you know, I'm going to drive over and just see it. How amazing would that be? And Mike, the guy that used to hang out with us, he now lives in my grandmother's apartment. And so I thought, I'm just going to knock on his door and surprise him and hopefully not freak him out. But it'd be like, hey, it's me. I'm one of the pearls. And so that's what I did. And he's like, hey, RD, of course, I remember you. And so I see the apartment and it's small and just not filled with things. I remember it. Right, baking crackers and peanut butter with my grandmother, watching Christmas movies with her, having the Christmas tree. All these memories just come flooding back. But what I want to do is get to the end of uh, the apartment where the little sunroom is. And there you can see the pier and the bay and the forest. And I just thought, I can't wait to see it. it just, it's going to fill me with such joy. And I get to the back there, and I see the pier, and my heart just sinks because it's just in disrepute. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's basically run down. All the wood is cracked and broken. There's no way anybody has fished on it in a couple years. I remember just thinking, no, that, that was my pier. That was, 
what? Why isn't anyone? I want to just go out there and like fix it so that other young boys could have adventures on the pier, right? I was like, what's going on? And then worst of all, I look over to the right and I see where the force was in this amazing just sand adventure area. And they had bulldozed all the trees for these ugly apartments. (laughs) I remember being like personally offended. (laughs) I was like, how could you do this? How could you do this? And in that moment, it was just, it was weird. Maybe you felt this. It was just, I felt such sadness because I was like, they're just memories now. I can never, ever walk on that pier again. I can never, ever, I can never literally even go over there again because there are apartments now. I can't, I was just hoping maybe when I got there, I could just feel what I used to feel. But the past is irretrievable. You can't, you cannot get it back. And here's the deal. Even if I could recreate everything back in the past, it still wouldn't be as great as it was, right? It still wouldn't be what it was in that moment. And that's another hard part of life. All good things come to an end. The past is irretrievable. And the last really hard thing is that even the best things don't satisfy us. Even the greatest things in your life don't satisfy us. I remember flying home from our engagement weekend. I mean, it's probably as great as this life can get. I remember being on the plane with Emily. I said, Emily, this was like the best weekend of my life. And she said, yeah, I think it's the best weekend of my life. And I remember saying to her, and yet if that was all that there was, how empty would that be? I mean, if that, if that was the peak, what a small mountain. Because you know there's more. You know, like there's a hole in our hearts. We know there's more. We are people that long for something more, something to fill us, something to fill in the hole in our heart. And maybe we try and find it in the past or find it in a vacation, or we say, if I can just make enough money, I can stack all these dollar bills in my heart and I would be satisfied, right? If I could have enough success, if I could have the right career, if I could have enough relationships, if I could feel good about myself, then maybe, maybe I might, the hole might go away. You know what happens sometimes because of how the world is? Sometimes for a little bit, the hole gets very, very small and we feel okay. But then the hole just keeps growing and growing and growing because you can never have right enough money. You always wake up in the morning and you think, is this really it? I'm not talking about like bad things. I'm saying think of the best things in your life. And even those things, they hit the ceiling. You say, is this it? Jim Carrey, the actor and comedian, he says this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of. So they can see that it's not the answer. I have a clip here of Tom Brady. No one get personally offended, okay? And it's from several years ago, but it's always haunted me. And this is after Tom Brady. He's won three Super Bowls. He's dating supermodels. He just got like a $60 million contract. And he has this interview on 60 Minutes. And we have a clip from it. I just want to show you. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. (laughs) But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean... Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I I wish I knew. What Tom Brady does, what he does know is that Super Bowls 
and supermodels and super money can't feel the ache in his heart. It can't not feel the ache in his heart. Jim Carrey says you can't find it um, in money. You can't find it in, in, in pain. You, you, like it's there. It just, it, it's always there. C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. This will be on the screen. He says, apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all merits and also the healing of that old ache. C.S. Lewis is the best about this. He says, this longing that you have, this feeling that you have is not because you're crazy. It's not because you're psychotic. It's actually the truest indication of who you are, right? That you actually feel like you've been locked out of a room. You've been locked out of a world that you can't, you cannot get into it, but you know it's there. You can't put it into words. It's just a longing. It's a sweet, blissful longing to, for something else, for someone else to actually satisfy you. And he says, actually, this is the truest indication of who you are as a human being. And he says, if we could actually find that mountain, if we could get to that place, then it would finally have the ache in our hearts. It would be healed. It would be healed. I love that. I love that. The Bible says there are two realities at work in us. The first one is this, we're made in the image of God. And the second one is this, we're all broken by sin. The first reality is that we're all made in the image of God. What does that mean? It means that every single person in here has the residue of the Garden of Eden on them. It means that every single person in here was made for God. And though we reject God, though we're far from God, though we're broken by sin, we still long for him. We're still made for him because the fall did not break us being image bearers. It just broke, it just broke us into pieces, but it didn't break us completely. And so because we're still made in God's image, we know there's more. We know there's, there's food that will satisfy us. We know there's peace that actually can calm us. We know it. We can't quite get it. But because we're made in God's image, this is true. The second thing is that we've been broken by sin. So the way now is blocked. See, the Garden of Eden was the world that God made where everything was right and good and beautiful. But when we rejected God's good world, we lost God and we lost our true home. And as J.R.L. Tolkien says, now everyone is soaked in a sense of exile. And all of us are homesick. All of us are sojourners. And we're trying to find the door. But the Bible says that the, that the way to the tree of life is now blocked. We can't get it. We can't find our way there. But we're, tr we're trying. We're trying. Frederick Buchner, he puts it this way. He says, like Adam, we have all lost paradise. And yet we carry paradise around inside of us in the form of a longing for. Almost a memory of a blessedness that is no more. Or the dream of a blessedness that may someday be again. All of us carry eternity in our hearts because Ecclesiastes says God has placed eternity on your hearts. He hasn't placed a marriage on your heart. He hasn't placed kids on your heart. He hasn't placed money on your heart. He's placed himself on your heart. And that's why he is the only key that'll fit the door of your heart. He's the only one. Now, what if there really was a world where we were satisfied? 
What if there really was water that when we drank it, we would never be thirsty again? What if there really was a place where the words that people spoke to us were only affirming and encouraging and never tore us down? What if there was a place where there was no cancer or death or jealousy or betrayal or poverty or racism? What if there really was a world like that? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know the answer. There is a world like that. It's called the new heaven and the new earth, and it's Revelation 21 and 22. It's, the, it's our home. It's the world that we lost, and it's the world that's coming in. So if you have a Bible, turn with me there to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 is going to paint a picture of the new heaven and the new earth, the world that's coming through Jesus Christ. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. This is the Apostle John. He's writing to the church giving them hope for a future beyond the grave. And he talks about our eternal home. And if you're familiar with the Bible, I imagine these are some of your favorite verses. They're some of my favorite verses. This is what John says about our eternal home, verses 1 through 6, Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things is passed away way. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said this, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now, if that doesn't fill you with a holy longing, if, if when you read that, you don't say yes, that that. I don't even know exactly what that is, but that sounds like home. Well, it is home. It's your eternal home. It's the eternal city. It's the place that you're destined for. Now, what I want to do just quickly here is help us with a timeline of life, death, life after death, and life after life after death, and how the Bible lays out all these things, okay? So I, I have a visual for us, which Ben Hacker helped put together for me because I'm not good at this, so that we could actually see this. And I think it's going to be actually very helpful to us. This is what the Bible says about So we'll start off, and we can just roll through. And we'll start off with, with uh, life. So that's, that's anyone who's alive now. It's on earth, okay? It's on earth. That's what we're doing right now. We're living, we're alive, we're on the earth. And the next slide, it's body and soul. So right now, our physical body and our soul are married. They're united together. We have a soul, we have a heart, we have a being. We also have a body, right? Everyone here has a body. Check. Good. You all have a body. And we're living on the earth, and this is life. And that's what we all experience now. What comes after that? Death. Death comes after life, and we all know this. Everyone, everyone dies. And after death, where does the death happen at? Well, in the earth. Your body goes into the earth. You're buried into the earth. Right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You're buried into the earth. And what happens? What, what's the state then? Well, it's body, but no soul. So when you die, the Bible says, your body remains in the ground, but your soul goes to be with the Lord. Your body doesn't go to be with the Lord in that moment. Your soul does. So the second that you die, you go to be with the Lord. And what's that called? It's called heaven. It's called, it's called heaven. It's life after death. So think of life after death. It's, it's, it's heaven. It's not on earth. 
And what's that mean? It's when you have a soul, but no body. You have a soul, but no body. Now, if you're asking, what does that look like? What is it? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just telling you the Bible is just, it's like looking into a fog and trying to see 30 miles away. Maybe you see a light, but that's what the Bible says. And most people end here, right? This is where we end and say, heaven, heaven is my home. And the Bible says, actually, it's not. It's not your home. Because Revelation 21 and 22, the final two chapters of the Bible are not talking about heaven. They're talking about our true home. Heaven, now don't get me wrong, heaven is amazing and wonderful. You will not be lacking or longing, right, in the sense of like, this is terrible. <laughs> this is miserable. No, you won't be. But still, even in that place, you'll say, is there more? And the Bible says there is more. The new heaven and new earth. Life, so think of it this way. Maybe it's kind of confusing. Life after Life after death. What happens after that? Well, it's the new heaven and the new earth. What does that mean? It's when heaven comes to earth and they become married at last, as your body and soul come together again. Right? When Paul talks about resurrection, what he means is that on the last day when the trumpet sounds, 1 Corinthians 15, every person in the ground will rise and their soul and body will be united together in the new heaven and new earth. Now, no one has experienced that. That's a future reality. When Jesus Christ returns, he is inaugurating the new heaven and the new earth, and our body and our soul will be perfected. It'll be full. It'll be the body we never had, <laughs> but always wanted. And the soul with such peace and such, because we'll be with him. And that's what Revelation 21 and 22 are talking about. So heaven, yes and amen. But as someone once said, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world, right? It's great, it's glorious, but there's more, right? And that's what we talk about in the new heaven and new earth. There's hugs <laughs> and there's kisses and there's laughter and there's food and there's a concrete reality. And Revelation 21 is just trying to say, John's probably going out of his mind and he's like, I'm just trying to write down what I even see in these six verses. And this, this, so this is what Revelation 21 is talking about, our true home, the new heaven and new earth. A couple things just from this passage. Number one, John says that there's no sea in the new heaven and new earth. Now, that may or may not be literal. Most people don't think it's literal. It's metaphorical because in the first century, and even now, when people think of the sea or the ocean, what do they think of? They think of chaos. They think of fear. They think of anxiety, right? How many of us have anxiety or fear or chaos in our life? And when John says there's no sea in the eternal city, what he means is that in that place, there's no fear and there's no chaos and there's no anxiety. Everything is ordered as it should be. And so even if there is a sea, when you go off to sail on it, there won't be a storm you'll ever be afraid of. That's what he means. There's no sea, meaning there may or may not be a sea. The point is, it's a place of peace. It's a place of rest. It's a place where there's no chaos. Wouldn't that be nice? No chaos. Everything as it should be. That's God's world. The second thing to point out here is that we see it's a city. It's the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So a couple of things here. What the Bible paints is not that individual souls are going up into the clouds, right? John doesn't say, and then I saw individual souls with wings going up to the clouds. No, that, okay, no, that's not in the Bible, right? That's not what he says. What he says is, I saw the holy city coming down from heaven to the earth. And he describes it as what? He describes it as a wedding, the ultimate wedding, the wedding at the beginning of our life with God. 
He says, this, this city was dressed as a bride. And it's coming down, and one day they're going to be married together, right? The great hope of, of the Bible is that heaven and earth will come together again, just as your body and soul will come together again. And it comes down from heaven, and it invades the earth, even as we long to see it happen now, right? Jesus prayed, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And one day it finally will. One day it finally will. Verse 3 here is a great verse if you ever are on Bible Jeopardy, which maybe you will be. Maybe that would be a terrible thing, actually. But if you ever are, and you want to say, what's the verse that sums up the whole Bible? Revelation 21.3 would be a great one. Revelation 21.3 would be a great one. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will be their God. That basically is the point of the whole Bible. God dwelling with his people. God being with his people. That's the point of the Garden of Eden. God being with Adam and Eve. And even when they left him, did God leave? Did God say, forget you? I'm not going to dwell here. No, we had the tabernacle. And God said, my presence will always be with you. Then we had the temple where God's presence always is. And then we have Jesus Christ, who is God himself on the earth. And then we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which is God's presence in us. And now through the church, it's God's presence in the entire world. God is consumed with his presence being in your life personally and throughout the world. And so the great hope of the scripture is that one day we will be with God dwelling with him. He's not just there for a little bit and then he's going to leave. Right? There aren't any renters in the new heaven and new earth. Everybody gets to buy. Everybody gets a home that's there forever. And guess who paid for it? Jesus Christ did. And so it can never be taken from you. It can never be taken from you. And so the great, you know what the long, you know what Tom Brady is looking for? He's looking for God to dwell with him. He's looking for eternity to come bear upon him and say, this is what you thirst for. Me. 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 Verse 4, it's got to be one of the all-time verses, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Yes, this is, this is what we want. All of us have tears. All of us face death. All of us have mourning. All of us have pain. I'm reminded of when one of my girls, both my girls cry a lot because they're two and a half. And, you know, if they look out the window and don't see a squirrel, they start to break down like it's the end of all things. And, but oftentimes something really will make them cry and they'll have these tears and, you know, I'll, hey, hey, Camille, c come over to daddy. And she's just crying. She's like, okay, I'll come over. You know, and she's just taking forever. You know, she's just, it's getting even worse. And so I pick her up in my arms and I say, I, Daddy's got you. I'm, I'm, I'm here. And she's just like, kind of like, you know, crying. And then like, okay, it's, it's okay. I'm like, you gonna be okay, Bug? She's like, I, I think I'll be okay, maybe. <laughs> and uh, then I see, I, I have, I move her head from my chest, and um, you know, she has her hair, because her hair is going crazy, and uh, she has it matted down with all the tears, you know, on her face. And so what I do is just put, I just like you normally do, right, when someone's crying. I, but she can't do it, so I do it. So I put my thumbs, you know, on the other side of her nose and just push them out, right. So I wipe away her tears. And then after that, you know, she looks at me and I say, you going to be okay? And she's like, yeah, I think I'm all better now, Daddy. I know more tears. Now, go with me for a moment here. Imagine God himself doing that. Now, if that's making you cry right now, good. <laughs> good. Imagine, imagine God himself coming and saying, I know there's been a lot of pain. I know there's been a lot of brokenness, but your father has you now. And it's just, it's just you and me. 
And I'm just going to wipe away all the tears because the old order of things has passed away and the new has come. I've got you and I'll hold you as long as you need me to. But there's a great meal going on over there you may want to be a part of. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that, that one day God himself will wipe all the tears from our eyes? He's going to make everything new. He's going to make everything new. You say, well, how, how, how does this happen? Verse 6 gives us a clue. Verse 6, Jesus Christ, he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now, there you say, so this, this living water, the true water that you've been thirsting for your whole life, life the, the dwelling of God, God being with you, touching you, you're holding him, being with him, that, how is it without cost? It's without cost to you. It's not without cost to God, right? The only way that you and I can drink from the water of life is because Jesus Christ took the payment, because he paid the price. How is it free? How is it a gift? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ said, put it on me. Put it on me. That's the only way. The only way that we get to experience this world, to experience the new Jerusalem, is because in the old Jerusalem, Jesus Christ went on a cross and was crucified and bled out so that one day you and I could know God right now and yet one day again we can know him and see his face. Why, why will God wipe away all of our tears? Because Jesus Christ wept. He cried. He knows what it's like to suffer. And so when he wipes away your tears, it means so much more because you know you felt pain too, Lord. How can God dwell with us? being sinners that we are, broken that we are, because Jesus Christ has made us white as snow. And now God can live in our hearts, and one day we can live in God's world. Jesus Christ is the one who's offered up and said, if you believe in me, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And you know what he says right after that? The disciples are, so, are just they're so devastated because they're hearing him say, wait, why are you leaving? And he's saying, I am leaving. You know where I'm going? I am going to prepare a place for you. And you can put this in the bank. I am going to come back and take you to be with me where I am. I'm coming back for you. The only way that we have access to the water of life is because Jesus Christ on the cross, he said, I thirst. I thirst. And because he was thirsty, we can be filled. Because he was killed, we can have life. Because he died, we can live forever. That's how, that's how we get access, right? There's not like people make fun like, oh, St. Peter's going to be there and he's going to ask you all these questions. No, he won't. I mean, he'll be there. But he's not going to ask you questions. It's already done. It's already taken care of. There's not going to be any questions when you get there. Have I been good enough? Have I done enough things? It's already taken care of in the cross. When you come to faith in Christ, it's done. It's, you're in. It doesn't matter what you do the rest of your life as long as it truly, you truly came to faith in him. Because he knows everything. When you come to faith in Christ, he's not like, okay, I took care of the last 20 years. You better work really hard the next 40 till you see me. No. It's covered past, present, and future. All of it is covered by his grace. And so one day when you see his face, you won't have to be afraid. You won't have to be afraid to say, I am finally home. I'm finally home. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. That's what I've been waiting for my whole life. This is a great line from um, one of the, the Chronicles of Narnia. It won't, it won't be on the screen, but I just love it so much. If you know the Chronicles of Narnia, you know that Aslan represents the Christ figure. And uh, there's a line where C.S. Lewis writes this about Aslan coming back again to Narnia. He says this, so imagine Aslan and Jesus. Wrong will be right, 
when Aslan comes in sight, at the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. When Jesus Christ comes back, you know when you wake up sometimes, when you go on vacation or something, you wake up and you have that moment where you're like, where am I? <laughs> That's not my window. <laughs> That's not how the light comes in at 7 a.m. And you get like that moment of, oh, wait, we're on vacation. Or wait, I'm staying at my friend's house. Okay, that was actually really concerning. You know? What, I don't know what it's going to look like, so don't take this to the theological right, review board. I'm not sure how it's going to look when, when we raise, when we get risen by Christ. But when we awake in the new heaven and new earth, no one is going to say, where am I? No one is going to say, what is this? This is so foreign. You know what we're going to say? We're going to say, this is home. Right home at last. This is the place I've been looking for all of my life. And if you trust in Jesus Christ right now, you can get a taste of it even now. And as beautiful as Jesus is in this life, it's still only a taste. I'll close with this. The final chapter of the whole Bible is Revelation 22. And this is what it says about all of those who have faith in Christ. I live one of my favorite passages. It'll be on the screen. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. There it is again. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign, and you will reign forever and ever and ever. World without end. Let's pray. Our Father, how can you even do justice to this? How could we even begin to sketch a picture of the beauty of the new heaven and new earth. And I pray that for all of us here, that the great longing of our souls would be for seeing your face. And that through faith in your son Jesus, now we can have joy and fulfillment and satisfaction even now, and yet still feel like, is there more? And Lord, there is more. There's an eternal feast. There's the ultimate communion with bread and wine and laughter and dancing and joy for eternity. And because your son Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross, we have access to this without cost. How amazing. Father, we thank you that the world that we long for really exists, that the ache in our hearts means there really is something beyond this world. And one day we'll see heaven come to earth at last. And we'll say, we're finally home. We're finally home at last. In the name of Jesus Christ, our risen, reigning, and returning Savior. And all God's people said, amen, amen.